Could we have our music, please? What does that have to do with the chosen? I was expecting some of you to stand when that music started. And I did see some looking around to see where, where is, where's the bride? Where's it? <laughs> uh, one of the things that's going to be in our uh, next round is a wedding gift. Now, weddings are appropriate. They are uh, common throughout all of the world through all ages. And uh, have we got our slide, the first beginning with the first slide up there, that we will be talking or looking at this uh, uh, next one, and I like the way they did this. It looks like a wedding invitation. And uh, we're talking about the wedding in Cana. And down there toward the bottom, you may be able to make it out that I have Egypt, Rome, medieval Europe, Africa, and then slash Celtic. And many of the ceremony, parts of the ceremony that are involved in modern-day weddings reach all the way back to ancient Egypt, some of them, many of them to Rome. There are things that we have from medieval Europe, and there are uh, some that are, uh, I traced it back on one of these. Uh, they say that it started in Africa, and another source says that it started uh, among the Celtic people. And so we're, we're looking at it, and, and uh, you've all heard the little poem that goes with uh, this uh, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, and a sixpence in your shoe. If that doesn't tell you it's British. <laughs> and many of the things that are involved in modern-day Western weddings actually come from, from cultures and civilizations and times where these things were to ward off evil. They are superstitious based uh, and they are for good luck and to ward off evil. So, and uh, there are some other things, but let's look first at the bouquet. Uh, the, the bride brings a bouquet, but from ancient Rome, the bouquet was actually made up of something different than they are uh, made of today. The florist put high-priced flowers in there and so on, but there were other herbs and, and uh, things that we do not consider flowers in the early bouquets because they were symbolic of uh, various things, but one of the things that they were involved in 
was that they she carried the bride carried the bouquet to ward off spirits that might try to interfere with the goodness of the wedding of course later in the medieval time that uh, changed a little bit uh, you've heard of june brides a lot of uh, weddings in in uh, medieval europe were in june and they only took a bath once a year and so uh, they took it in the uh, in the late spring, and uh, the bouquet with all of the flowers, it did change the flowers by then, was to help to cover the aroma of other things. The veil. Now, there's one uh, among the Jews, uh, the, the veil, the, actually the groom, looks at his bride and then puts the veil over her face. That goes back to Jacob's marriage where he thought he was marrying one sister and he actually married the other one because of the thing. So now the Jewish men make sure it's the right one before. <laughs> Again, there is uh, the, the veil that is used and you will notice that I have two different pictures here. And the red veil was actually more common until the Victorian era when Queen Victoria married Prince Edward wearing a white veil and then it became the common thing. Everybody wanted to be like the queen. But whether it's the red veil, which was common, or the white veil, which is common now, the idea was that uh, the bride would wear this to confuse any spirits, evil spirits that might try, and they wouldn't know for sure that that was her. Now, the next one uh, that we have is this, this uh, young Jewish man is very enthusiastic. Uh, in, uh, he has launched himself off the floor and is about to crash into a goblet or a glass that is lying there between them, there is a ceremony, part of the ceremony of a Jewish wedding is to break this glass. And it symbolizes that there will be bad times and sorrow in as well as happiness and joy in the wedding. And many of them keep this glass that was broken and, and put it in kind of a, a display case to keep them reminded throughout their marriage that, that uh, everything's not going to go exactly right. And uh, then we have this next one of, of jumping the broom is the one that is supposedly began in, uh, in Africa, but there is also a strong tradition that it was common and began among the Celts in, in the Irish uh, area of the British Isles. And this one has quite a, an, an interesting history behind it uh, in that when it began that the guests would take brooms and wave them over the heads of the couple who were being married to sweep away the spirits. Do you, do you catch a theme here that's involved in a lot of these things? And, and then as a uh, as the ending of whatever ceremony they were involved in, the couple would jump over the broom. In fact, there are times and places 
where just the mere fact of a man and a woman joining hands and jumping over the broom actually was the entire wedding ceremony. That made it official. And so uh, they jumped the broom. And then uh, it, in uh, 1753, in the British Isles, they came up with what they called a clandestine marriage act. In fact, part of it was about this thing of jumping the broom. And they limited what would be recognized as an official marriage and put age limits on it. You could not marry before the age of 21, uh, according to this 1753 Clandestine Marriage Act. And uh, so uh, there were, uh, uh, it limited a lot of things and it had to be performed by a certain person in a certain place. It had to go to the, to the church, to the priest and so on. And this Clandestine Marriage Act was effective in England and in Wales. But just across the border in Scotland, a young lady could be married at 12 and a young man could be married at 14. And so there were many of uh, the English and Welsh couples that would go just across the border to the first town that was available called Gretna Green. And I don't know if you realize it, but when somebody today elopes, it is often said they went to Gretna Green. And that's, that's the reason, because the town where they, where they went to get married, they would run off to get married and get married in Gretna Green, and you'll see an anvil there because without the restrictions of the 1753 uh, Clandestine Marriage Act, anyone could perform a marriage. And one of the first shops you came to in Gretna Green was a blacksmith. And the blacksmith could preside over their, uh, their wedding. And, and so this is uh, symbolizing that. Then we've got a, a more modern wedding here. This one took place almost 54 years ago. And it was a little unusual. Uh, that fella, I'd tell you it got a little unusual. Um. <clears throat> They had gotten out of, out of hand, really, with decorating cars. And so when I drove into town, I hid my car and walked to the church. And some came to me and said, where's your car? It's not here. They said, are you going to take your dad's car? I said, no, I wanted to protect him. I said, no, I'm not going to take my dad's car. I had already made arrangements with the best man. And so uh, that, that kicked us off. And, and that, of course, as usual, our wedding developed a financial hyper-pituitary. Hyper it grew beyond where it cost us $300 for the whole wedding. It was just, just terrible. Uh, <clears throat> flowers and pictures and stuff like that, anyhow. 
but obviously the pictures are paying off today. <laughs> One of the ministers, we were buried by two preachers, uh, Brother Barry King, who I had, who had been her pastor, and I would, had worked as his assistant in another church, and Brother Donald Barry, who was her pastor at the time. Brother Barry was known for writing poems, and so he... Uh, part of the ceremony of tying the knot with us is he read his poem called Turning to Moss. Sister Barbara has been with us for ages, but today she's turning to moss. <laughs> and there's quite, maybe one of these days we'll get through that. And uh, uh, be where we can uh, read that to you. And then there was an unusual ending. When they pronounced us husband and wife, I raised her veil, took her hand, and said, let's go, wife. <laughs> and we would just walk down the aisle. I think the one who was most upset that I didn't kiss the bride at that point was my father. <laughs> Boy, you got to kiss the bride. <laughs> and then uh, we have this one. Uh, this is their throwing rice. We knew that there was no way we could get out of that. Uh, by the way, that's also uh, uh, symbolic. And, yeah. So... But we were going out that door of the fellowship hall. But if you go back into the fellowship hall and down a hallway, there's another door. And the best man and his wife, who happened to be my wife's cousin, were waiting in their car there. So we ran out the front. They, you can see in there, somebody has a cup that they have just thrown that was full of rice. And we had worked it out. I forgot, she said, I forgot my coat. And her coat was still inside. So we stopped. They're all waiting for us to come back out. We go in, grab the coat, and go down the hallway. <laughs> and then here is the last picture. Every wedding is different. Every wedding has the things that go wrong, the things that go right. There was a wedding in Cana. You need to be here and then involved in the discussions for the chosen. <laughs> 